You are listening to WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station. Welcome. I'm Warren Odeschillette, and this is A Baha'i Perspective. Perspective is a radio program that examines contemporary issues using the principles of the Baha'i Faith. If you want information on the Baha'i Faith specifically, you're welcome to go to the website www.baha'i.org, that's B-A-H-A-I dot O-R-G, or you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22-UNITE. Today I'm playing an interview I recorded of Fanny F. Danto, a Baha'i from Amherst who emigrated from Ghana. In Ghana, she was an advocate for children, orphans, women, as well as helping the unfortunate. She also was involved in community development there. I asked Fanny, what was it like growing up in Ghana? I grew up in Ghana, in West Africa. My hometown is Salt Pond, but we lived in Central Region, which is the capital of Cape Coast. I am the seventh child of uh, 11 family. We have six brothers and five sisters. And my parents also adopted some children. And that was, um, I mean, every from the time I was a baby to the time I married, we always had four or five other people's children in our home. <clears throat> My father was uh, an, uh, an administrator and professionally an accountant. And my mom was a confessionalist and um, a Texas trader and a seamstress. And what were the first two again? Texture. The, the textiles. She textiles? Lives, yeah, she lives in textiles. And what was the first one? Uh, she is a baker. In oh, different, baker. So confessionist, yeah. What, what's that word? Confessionist. Oh, right, yeah. yes, okay. Mm-hmm. They all come from the central region. They, be, they belong to the same uh, tribe. They are all fanties. My fa- mother is from Salpond, and my father is from Gumuafate, also in the central region. Um, but they all lived in Cape Coast, where my father worked with the British uh, industries there. So it was a British colony at the time? Uh, yes. Uh, Ghana was uh, under British... Uh, the Dutch, the Portuguese, the Germans, you know. That's why we have the scrabble for Africa. They they just divided the whole country into various regions, yeah, and that's how they colonized. But the British were the main um, colonists who stayed much longer. And I remember... um, I I finished high school in 1957, and that was the time that Ghana gained its independence. 
We, I came from a very religious family. I remember we, when I grew up, we were um, all attend Methodist church. But the Catholic church had extended, you know, the upper classes, elementary schools. And my parents were very, very strong in their religion. And so it got to a point where when we have to go to the high school, we had to go to the Catholic school. But um, they told my father that uh, unless you all become Catholics, we wouldn't enroll you. So my father sat all of us down and said, what a blessing for us all to be baptized twice in two different religions. So, But they are all serving the same God. So we were all lined up and baptized. And so um, in the morning, the Catholic Church have their service early in the morning. We finish Catholic, and then we go to the Methodist Church. So Sunday is nothing but religious day for our family. Mm-hmm. And um, my father would like to bring all churches together. And so there were celebrations for you know unity churches, unified churches. They have harvest together. She's all over. We saw Muslims. We have Protestants. I mean, all every religion that lived operated in in my country, uh, we had something to do with them. And because my father's job deals with foreigners, uh, our home became, the we call it bus stop for foreign people. When they arrive in the country, my father will bring them to our family and they help them settle until whatever preparations they have for them is ready before they move into their bungalow. So we had access to different kinds of people from all over the world. And that became um, our lifestyle. Our children, my brothers and sisters, we were so exposed that we were not shy to be of service to people. And uh, we loved to do with this with everybody. And we were all involved also in sports. Uh, I remember um, I do the track meet, and I was a uh, hundred meter dash. I did uh, a long jump. I did hurdles. You know, you know. And we the other games we play basketball. Uh, uh, we call it what um, netball. Mm. Yeah, our basketball was called netball, and the boys all play soccer. Mm-hmm. And so whenever there is, there is tournaments, you see my parents would be well dressed up, get food and everything, water, drinks, and come to the field and set up for children to enjoy themselves. So it was um, such a wonderful childhood for all of us. We were loved so much and we love education. We love school. So I never like to <laughs> go anywhere but every time from school to school. Even right now if I had the money I would still be enrolled in school <laughs> because I just feel that um, 
as my parents uh, emphasized, he said, education is you. Mm. If you have it, nobody can take it from you. Mm. And when you have education, you have no fear. You can do anything. You can go anywhere, so long as you believe in God mm. to support what you do. So that's all I knew. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And so when I also, uh, unfortunately, I enjoyed my family life so much that I was the last to get married. <laughs> <laughs> my, my parents had to uh, literally um, organize it in such a way that uh, I remember one Christmas he told me I should come home. Because where, where were you? I was in a teacher, a trained teacher, and I was in a town called uh, Commander. That's where I was teaching. So my father said that I want you to come home on Christmas because some people have asked for your hand, and we want you to meet them and see wh which one you like. And there were four people. It was so funny. And <laughs> Somewhere from the royal family, like my family, mm. but I wasn't interested in them. So, but there was one f f uh, uh, man from a different tribe, and he was also a royal in his in his uh, hometown. Mm -hmm. But he was um, very brilliant, very clean. He lives. He is very well educated. Mm -hmm. And so he was the one I had my mind on. I didn't mm. know that he had already gone and seen my father. And so I was shocked to see him among the four who were asking to, to, to marry me. So you had met him before? I met him at my station because he was involved in the sugar estate uh, development in Ghana. He was the engineer working with the, uh, the foreign, the Kaiser engineers. And so I was going to tell my father that um, where somebody, I've met somebody who um, seemed to be interested in me. He hasn't said anything to me, but I will, after you show me those people that you have, um, you have met, I will also bring this guy and let you see if you like him. Then I can decide from among the five. And I got there at Christmas. And he was <laughs> one of the four. At that time, I got so upset. I said, you know, you, sh you can't just go behind me and um, do that. But it mm. turned out to be a good selection. Okay. And he became the father of my children. Mm. Mm. But unfortunately, um, some political things happened in the country. And he was a witness to a wrongdoing. So the Ghana government asked him, to work with the, the foreign agency, the Kaiser engineers, to bring sugar production in the country because Ghana has a lot of sugar cane. And uh, he, as the uh, licensed surveyor, he um, made an estimate to cover um, to the government to use the RAF uh, facilities that they left long ago to be uh, used as the warehouse for the, the sugar estate factory. 
And his estimates, according to the Ghana Development Program, you have to identify all the ministries that will be involved in the whole process. And they are supposed to get copies of the estimates. And you have to bring them all together. So when he did the um, estimates, he gave copies to the Minister of Trade, Minister of Industry, Minister of Agriculture, because it's an agriculture-based project, and Ministry of uh, uh, Industries, Housing. You know, there were about six industries involved. And then you have to also involve the regional commissioner, who is the politician in the areas. You have to involve some uh, finance, finance ministry because of the money involved. So there were a, a network of min- industries and ministries and some politicians who had copies of the estimates. Then all of a sudden something went wrong. And uh, the president then, Dr. Kwame Nkrumah, set up a commission, which they call the Abraham Commission, to investigate what is going on with the industry. Why is not? Is it not? It's not progressing. All of a sudden I had all these politicians in my house, and most of them come from my region, so they know me there. So they came and asked me, as a wife married to uh, another tribal person, he said, we want your husband to let us have a copy of his estimates. And I said, no, that belongs to him. That's his profession. He has to keep it. Why do you think they wanted those estimates? Because they changed the figures. And so they were able to condole and connive with all other ministries. They collected all their estimates except my husband's. And we refused to let them have it. And a copy that went to the Kaiser engineer, uh, they also refused to give it to them. So they came to my home. I was pregnant then and threatened my life and threatened my husband's life. I said, well, my father told me that if you are telling the truth and you know what the truth is, it doesn't matter if they set you on fire. And so I'm not going to let him give it, and he is not going to give it to you. And said, then you are going to be a widow. He said that? Yeah, one of them. I said, you must be joking. And even if I become a widow, I'll become a special widow because God takes care of the widows. And that's how mm. I left it. And I didn't think they would go so far. But there was one of the, one of the people that uh, were, he was a very close friend of my family. He lost his job, so my husband talked to me, and we gave our outhouse from our bungalow to him and his family. Mm. So he was somebody that we, he eats with us. We do everything together with them. We take care of their children and everything. So I thought he was a family. 
So he was, we didn't know that he was the spy. Oh my gosh. And he told them, uh, you know, they've been cooking out this plot, but how to implement it became a problem because um, I was known to be very, very curious and very strong. I I don't... uh, uh, I'm not afraid to sell my mind. And so how they can get me away from my husband so that they can get him was the plot. It just happened that that very day, my father uh, passed. Even though he, his death was also, there were a lot of stories about it. Mm. He passed at 11 o'clock in the morning. So my husband said that uh, he's been approached that Nkrumah has asked him to come to Accra to meet him there. And so he will be going with the team that he has invited. And so I should go with my father. He was sick at that time then. He was just about one week span of sickness. He was sick, so I should take him to his hometown because my father made me promise that when he, if he has to die, he should be laid and stayed in his own house. And if his house was torn into pieces because he gave it to the brother to take me as a caretaker while he was away, if the house is broken down into pieces, we should set up a tent and lay him instead there. He shouldn't be um, laid instead in the royal home. So that was the promise he made me make. So my husband, I talked to my husband, and he said, Well, as it is, your father is a very important person. If he dies in the central hospital, we won't get the body. The politicians in the whole country will take it. But if we go to the smaller hospital, which is in the middle between Cape Coast and his hometown, by the time they, they, they came, we'll be able to take the body and run away with it. And so we plan it that way. So we put him in Winneba Hospital. And truly... Um, the, after the third day of his sickness, which was very sudden, um, the politicians came to the hospital. And they talked to the doctor that if by the end of the week he's not going to make it, they will come back and take the body. See? After they left, I went to Papa and said, you heard what they said. If it is true that your time is up to go, let go show signs to us so that we can make a decision. I promise to do whatever you want, you wish, but if I don't get the help, I cannot do whatever. By and I, 11 o'clock on the dot, he just passed away. Mm-hmm. So immediately, the hospital gave us an ambulance. We took the body and 
move him away. Mm. So by the time the politicians came to Uniba, his body was already at home. And, and we um, did it. So my husband said, I will go to Nkrumah's appointment, and then I will come back and take care of you. He never showed up. I waited and waited. We've laid. He and my father were so close friends. Mm. So everybody were at people were asking, Where is Mr. Duboy? Where is him? Where is Doctor? Where is he? Then all of a sudden we saw cars upon cars coming in. And I was a bit angry. I said, mm. Your father in law has passed and you don't even know that he has passed. Not knowing they came to get me to go and identify his body. Mm. They both, um, he was strangled by the mm. rooster. So that appointment that they said was Nkrumah who invited them were all set up. Set up, yeah. Mm. So um, mm. when we got to the hospital, the nurse who was taking care of him, who, she knows him very well. We are very good friends. And he said, the old man was getting better. He was getting better. Everything was going all right. Until those, he used a very profane language, came in and they injected him. And that's how he died. The strangulation, he almost survived. But then when they found out that he was going to make it, they have to inject him to die. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a situation where I kept asking myself, God, what have I done? Mm. Why? You asked me to love me, to, to love you. You asked me to serve you. I was children's uh, educator. I was a Sunday school teacher. I was a querister. I was women's advocate. I was an advocate for orphans. Everything that you wanted me to do within my capacity, I'm doing it. Why this gift? Why this? Um, it's like a bitter cup. I became a Baha'i before I understood that God's time is always the best. Mm. Because after the the untimely death of my father and my husband the same day, and my aunt who came to go to the funeral at the other side with me, she was also there with me when, because my mother couldn't, because she was also burying her husband, which was my father. After two weeks, the, the father, the, 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 we got a message that her daughter was sick. By the time she got there, the daughter also died. Mm. Within six weeks span of time, my older brother, his wife was having a baby. 
she also died. I mean, it's like one problem after the other. But what did all those do? It just brought out energy that I didn't know I had. A strength? Very strength. I had a very... I was determined to take care of my children. I knew the plans we had for him with my husband and my father. I said, no, it doesn't matter. If I had to become a beggar to educate my children, I will. Mm. That was the beginning of my total independence in life. And it just happened that I had no fear anymore. After going through all those, I just felt energized that mm. if God is not with me, I wouldn't have gone through it. And that rather strengthened my love for God. As a young woman um, with four children, and his children, you know, when he married me, he had already married. and had, mm. He was like a widow, so... Mm. I adopted all his children, so mm. we had about eight kids together mm. in the in the house. So when he died, I had all those kids in my hand, and um, I had to go back to school and teach so mm. that I could take care of the children. Mm. But there, because we have the extended family system and grandparents play a major role in our lifestyle, even though I was single, uh, or a widow, mm-hmm. I had every support that I needed mm. to get my children come along. Mm. I wasn't interested in marriage for the first time, mm-hmm. and so when it happened like that, I just felt, well, I've had all my children, I don't need to um, marry again, but the culture wouldn't let me because my children were young, so they kept bothering me and bothering me. And so I met um, a young man from Connecticut in the U.S. who was working with the University of Ghana through a program they, they designed with the, the UMass. He was a doctorate student by then. And so when they came to Ghana, the University of Ghana, asked me to join the group to represent them because what I was, the approaches they were using, I was already involved in it, which involves uh, adult education and community development. So that's how I met my second uh, husband. Um, after we have our first child, my, who is my last born now, mm-hmm. and we were working in, uh, he was working in Sri Lanka, I asked Fanny what she did when she was in Sri Lanka. Got involved in um, ILO, International Labor Organization. Their outfit, the kind of work that um, young women are sent to the Middle East to go and work as house girls. And some of them wind up having, you know, fatherless babies. 
they coming back with all kinds of uh, Virginia, ven- uh, venereal yeah, yeah, diseases. Yeah. So I said, oh, I would like to be involved in this because I've worked with women's uh, programs all my life. and so. so I offered my service there. And boy, the director of the place just found out that I have tremendous organizational skills. So she sent me to the Middle East, Bahrain, Kuwait, um, uh, United Arab uh, Emirates, Emirates. That, all those blocks. And I go there and uh, negotiate with the uh, the providers to for the benefit of the the girls mm-hmm. establish different laws with them. I tapped into ILO regulations and uh, got their support so that if you have an affair with this, it wasn't even an affair. Some are mm-hmm. just rape and whatever, and a child becomes uh, a reality in that relationship. You take care of the child. And so I was able to um, get like an advocate for them, even though I wasn't a lawyer. So I became very, very involved in those kind of programs and uh, very popular with it. And my father gave me a lot of you know, self-confidence and told me that uh, you are special and God has endowed you with all kinds of capacity. You only lose it when you want to lose it. But so long as you want to do something with it, you will go to places. So before I was, he was aware. I was in the newspaper and all that. Mm. After what we went there, I went there in eighty. Eight and I came back in ninety nine. Oh, and wow. ninety ninety two. Okay. Ninety two, ninety three, yes. Four or five years. Yes. So that's how mm. I, I had it. But I had a wonderful time at uh, Sri mm. Lanka. Our home was the center for children's classes and women's programs. Mm. And when I came to this country, I tried to work in the public place system. When I started working as a, an assistant in the school system, my skills in uh, after-school programs became prominent. I mean, when I got there, we they only have about six kids. When I got involved, I started making realistic activities and children enjoying it combined with body movement stories and and art and craft and whatever I mean the parents became very happy all of a sudden we had 22 kids so I requested that I need an assistant just at the time that I made that request the director that was working with me who liked my work, had problem with the management. So she decided to take another job and leave. So they brought in a new person as a director. Boy, 
I can't talk to the parents. I can't hug the children. She, she tells me, in America, we don't hug. I say, these children, there is so much in hugging children. When they are desperate, all they need, because their parents are not here, they need somebody to provide them the same service. And so when a child, I hug a child and she falls asleep on me, I thought I was doing my, my job. The assistant that she brought, she told me, she's done all the, the, the courses. You are not certified in that thing. But, um, so she's going to support you. I said, fine. The lady came on board and not knowing that was her entry job. She had no experience. So every day she would tell me, I don't know what to do. I said, don't worry. This hand washes here, and that the left hand washes the right. We're going to work together as a team and bring our strength up to play, to complement one another. So no, no problem. So we were working very nicely. But she has computer skills. So the woman asked the director, asked her to do our salaries and stuff like that. She was shocked to know that. She was earning $2,000 more than me. Mm. She didn't see the justice in it. So what she did was she copied her contract and put it in my lesson plan notebook. Without saying anything to me. So I went for my notebook. I opened it. What is this? What? And I went to the kitchen where all the teachers meet. And she noticed that I had found a thing. And she just went. So I knew what she was doing. Mm. So I talked to one of the parents. And that parent just went berserk. said, that's injustice. That's not fair. We know what you do to this school and to our children. You deserve better than this. And if we don't do something about it, we are going to do something. I say, well, as a trained teacher in my country, they made us believe that our job is a sacrificial job. I said, I came here before I learned how to negotiate salaries. And this woman has shown clearly to me that she doesn't like, she hadn't had any experience with the black people. She's from Texas, and um, she just didn't want me, period. And then I also This is the administrator? Yeah. And I just said no. 
if this woman can do this to me, I better go. That's how I started concentrating on registering my uh, my daycare. Mm. Yeah. So it's as a black person in this society. Um, I was experiencing behaviors that really shocked me. And it just began to to kill my spirit, you know, because I didn't know that, uh, first of all, even the word black was unknown to me because there is no human being who is black. We all come from places, and we all belong to the same world. It is so subtle that it hurts so bad. Mm. And so it just got to a point where I said, perhaps I would do better being on my own. The kind of social injustices, you know, that goes on. The race issues and the inequalities among people and classes and colors was something that I couldn't deal with. So I decided to go back into my consultant background. But then my children started having children. And then I had some friends in the community that I loved them so much. Abdalia Smith was one of them. And then on TV, I hear stories, horrible stories about experiences family children are having with daycare and um, schools and whatever. So I got frightened and I said, well, you know what? I've been an early childhood teacher for years, 22 years before I came here. I can always go back to it. But I don't want to do it through the back door. So I started investigating how one can become a family daycare provider. So I attended some workshop. The people gave me numbers to call. I called. And the Office for Child Care educated me what I can come and the workshop I have to attend. So I attended the workshop. And I started preparing my house and said, if I can do this, then my children, my grandchildren, wouldn't have to go somewhere else. So I started, I registered, and my first children was Alex, Alexander Smith and some others who were in number highs. So I thought I was just going to settle with them. They said the number, you should at least have six. So I had six. But then all of a sudden, the vision I had with children in my professional background started coming to play. And I started as a single woman. I started feeling happy again. I wasn't crying anymore about my husband and whatever. So I said, hey, it looks like. It's something I can do. 
And at the same time, I will be working at home. I will be taking care of my own destiny. And whenever my children and my grandchildren come, I will be always ready to take care of them. So I started working on it. But as years passed on, they came to invest in, uh, to inspect the place, and they said, you have a facility to upgrade your daycare. I said, well, what do I do? So during the renewal, they said, well, we can increase it to eight. Really? I said, okay. So I did what they expected me, and, and three years later, they came back again, and they said, you know what? We found a river behind your uh, your backyard, and so that becomes a, a hazard. Unfortunately, at the time that I was being registered, the foliage was so thick that nobody knew that there was any river there. But during that year, I think 1996, the weather became very uh, painful and all the leaves fell and exposed the path, the, the river. So that became a problem then. So the woman told me that uh, her name was Iris. She said, if you can fence it, you can still upgrade it to, to time. Really? How, you know, how long? He said, no, you have establish everything that we want. You have good materials. You are doing great. And so all we need you to do is to fence it. Where do I get $5,000 to do mm. it? But then one of my parents who had a handiwork project said, I can do it if you buy the materials. I can do it as my first experience in fencing. So, so one of the children that you took care of, of their father was if willing to do the labor to do labor with the, the lower cost so he did it and I got upgraded to ten, to 10 and I got some some commas uh, half days some come full time and then the older the other kids that uh, I graduated I called them my graduate mm-hmm. to go to the public uh, preschool Turn around, we coming back as uh, after school kids. But it is it is an experience that really creates the the background I come from. That there's the when I, I grew up with multitude of children, and every time these children, the voices of little children, they are innocent, even when they are being naughty. It gives you room, opportunity to smile, to laugh at it, because you can't, you can't uh, believe how much these little kids, the kind of capacities they have, and the Baha'i teachings in uh, uh, children education really enhance my focus on bring the the the. They, they, you know, they classify children as they are rich in gems, and it's the teacher's responsibility to discover those gems and promote it so that they grow up to become viable elements within the society.
for them to be of service to humanity. And so I just feel that these kids keep me energized. They keep me running. They keep me focused. They keep me being of service to my own f- grandchildren. And so I just feel happy to be where I am. It's a quiet um, uh, um, an achievement. There's no... I'm not too much of a, a noisy person in terms of showing off on this. I just feel that my job do the talking. Mm. For almost ten and a half years, I've never advertised. My parents bring, do the advertising for me. Mm, word of mouth. Yes, sadly. And so it is what is giving me the energy and the strength too. So I always pray to God to continue to support me so I can have the patience and the energy to do what I can until my time is up to join my fellows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> can you? Well, thank you very much, Fanny. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Fanny F. Wadanto, a Baha'i from Amherst who emigrated from Ghana and is now running her own child day care center. If you want information on the Baha'i faith specifically, you're welcome to visit the website www.baha'i.org. That's B A H A I dot O R G. Or you can call the toll free number 1 800 22 Unite. I hope you'll join me next time on A Baha'i Perspective.
friendly Minnie Ripperton Who used to always sing when she was living Like fine wine and like seeing the glass of life is half full and half empty I'm not saying sometimes life can be rough But never to the point of me saying I've had enough Long as my heart beats I'm giving up That's why I say every day Yeah, 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 yeah American, what do I see for tomorrow in the human plan? Is it possible for all people of the world to coexist? I say unity is only as big as our vision, and if it's now strive to expand beyond the horizon, but truly there's much guidance through the ears of society that stand in our way. So if the road is to harmony, be with the car, but if it's about discord, don't take the ride at all, cause the world vision I see is the one we for everybody. WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station.